Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. This is issue 4110 of The Bugle. I am Andy Zaltzman. It's Friday the 24th of March 2019. And this is an emergency bugle. We are just swearing distance away from where our Prime Minister here in the United Kingdom, the beacon of all of our hearts, has just resigned just hours ago as we record. There is no section in the bin this week. Theresa May has deposited herself in the bin in sacrifice for this. There are no anniversaries this week. This is the only date that counts in history. The 24th of May, 2019. Possibly be seen by history as the day when Boris Johnson's ascension to the throne became inevitable. And nothing else will matter. More on this uh, later. Joining me this week to pick over the bones of this uh, latest uh, development in the unending bout of political diarrhoea that has emerged from David Cameron's horrific guts. Um, Firstly, here in London with me, Mark Steele. Welcome back, Mark. Andy, on this very peculiar day, been a dear, sad, lamented, departed leader who cried. Yeah. Cried a few minutes ago and she looked and the emotion got to her and it must be terrible because, I mean, it shows how emotional she must have been. You have to feel sorry for her because she didn't cry at all when she visited the survivors of the Grenfell Tower. She didn't cry at all over the Windrush deportations, the food banks, anything like that. But this has really got to yeah. it. really makes you it feel, does put all feel of those, for her. All of those, all of those trifles into perspective, it does, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. Although, to be honest, I mean, if politicians did start crying at every disaster that happened, they would just be an unending deluge of tears. <laughs> so, I guess some middle ground has to be struck. Also joining us from the safe distance of a hemisphere away, where uh, there, there is no new Prime Minister when there was possibly expected uh, to be one. Australia, it's Alice Fraser. Uh, yes, Andy. Hello, Mark. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Yeah, in the ongoing quest to make forever Brexit the new status quo, soon-to-be non-Prime Minister Theresa May has announced her escape from the office of person most held responsible for the progress or non-progress of Brexit. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, soon a new Prime Minister will plunge like a reverse phoenix into the ashes of democracy and clasp <laughs> trembling hands around the poisoned chalice of a bad plan, like Major Arnold Ernst Tote, the bad guy in Indiana Jones' Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> I think yeah, the, the melting faces <laughs> at, the end of, at the end of that film, that's basically... A fairly accurate description of uh, well, that's of all British of them. One of their melted faces is going to be prime minister in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have to admire Theresa May because she's a woman, and also in the cascading champagne fountain of post surprise Brexit decision in the referendum, her cup had the openest mouth. <laughs> but truly, I cannot wait for feminism to get us to a state of perfect equality, so we can judge ambitiously boring windbags with delusions of admin on the content of their degraded character and not on the comparative distribution of flaps in their equatorial region. I just don't want to have to keep pretending people are interesting because they're women. That's beautiful. It's a vision for a fair opponent. I think she could have... The sad thing with a resignation speech, she could have... All of the damage she's done could all have been swept away if she'd done a proper resignation speech and she'd just come out and gone, oh, you f- can do it then. <laughs> Go on then. I've tried for three years and look at you. Wankers, all of you. Ooh, I don't want that sort. That's Norway something Canada. There, there, there. I've got bloody Barney A all day long. No, you're not. Brussels backwards and forwards. What have you done? 
Mog, you bloody overprivileged Victorian twat. You do it. Go on. So go on then. I'm going for a ramble with my specky husband. F*** <laughs> off. I think if yeah, put... What if she'd have done that at the podium? Well, what, how, how do we know she didn't do it? Maybe we'll just play it backwards. There might be hidden messages within it. I feel like a <laughs> Jethro Tull or I mean, I'm, I really am glad that May proved you can be a mediocre bureaucrat who inflames anti-immigrant sentiments no matter what set of gendered insults people throw at you. <laughs> um, it is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a truly, truly historic day. Um, in phase 48 of her resignation, which began <laughs> sometime <laughs> last year and has progressed well, gradually. Well, she's been like, you know when you play Monopoly? You ever play, well, I haven't played it for years, but you know sort of there's the Monopoly goes on for an hour longer than it should when one player mm-hmm. has got all the hotels and the other one's got seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and she's been like that. No, if I could just hang on. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a pound <laughs> for landing on Mayfair with a hotel. And then, and then, oh, God, she's hanging on for that. She's bolting herself in. Look, I genuinely believe that Monopoly was invented in order to inflame anti-capitalist sentiment because you always end up just flipping the board. <laughs> She's, I mean, essentially staggered on like a cowboy gradually bleeding out while staggering through the saloon bar doors of every drinking den in town before just finally lying under a bus stop and breathing his last. She will uh, bequit herself to political history on the 7th, uh, the 7th of June. She will uh, cease to be leader of the Conservatives. She will remain as... Uh, well, I'm going to say remain as sitting the lame duck prime minister, even lamer duck. Well, maybe she, maybe she'll go on the sixth of June if we send vans up Downing Street with Go Home on the side. Of them. <laughs> oh, it's the way yeah, she would want to go. We will remember Theresa May for all the terrible things she did that I've forgotten, and all the stuff she didn't do as a result of everyone else being awful and her also being awful, but at least willing to try. Truly, it is a prime ministership which will echo through the annals of history like a gust of wind through the annals of history. <laughs> I reckon in in a quiz, if Theresa May was in a quiz in three years' time and she was asked to name all the Prime Ministers of the last 20 years, <laughs> she'd forget herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's entirely possible. I hope we can make that happen. You've got contact in the TV industry, haven't you, Mark? You can make that happen. Um... Her parting uh, on the 7th of June will be marked by a ceremonial national harumph of general dissatisfaction at 10.30am. One hopes this does not overshadow the Pakistan v Sri Lanka Cricket World Cup match in <laughs> Bristol that day. Um, and, uh, well, it was sort of made even more inevitable than uh, it already was, if inevitability can indeed increase, when uh, Andrea Ledson became the 35th resignation wow. from Do you reckon some of them government. were, like, reposted and actually just forgotten that... Oh, Christ, she's forgotten she's already had me. <laughs> when they've been jumping ship, even though that ship has been stuck in a dry dock and just been splatting on the, the, uh, the pavement beside it. So, and there have been a lot of post... In fact, the post-mortems began before she'd even... Post-mortems of a still-twitching corpse. Um, and uh, she's just become the latest to be slowly impaled on the rusty spike at the top of the political greasy pole. Had she run out of oh. rope? Or had she just merely finally braided enough rope to reach all the way around her own neck? <laughs> History will be the judge. And she leaves after three years of blundering obfuscation, waffly pseudo-compromises. Uh, and that's been a time we may come to look back on with a kind of fond nostalgia, bearing in mind who or what 
maybe about to follow up. Yes, we're all packing our bags <laughs> and fleeing. Oh, I remember <laughs> when we just had a bumbling, contradictory, dead-eyed, <laughs> floundering vacuum in Downing Street. Oh, those were the days. But many young children in Britain today may lie on their deathbeds in many decades to come and remember her as the greatest Prime Minister of their <laughs> lifetimes. <laughs> she, and even then, in 30 years, she'll still be trying to bring her deal back. <laughs> she'll, be, she'll be wandering the streets, going up to the homeless. <laughs> Would you support my deal? <laughs> Just wandering around South America and that, tribes in Amazon tribes. Will you support my deal? She's willing to dance. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, what a sign. Isn't that a sign of what she represents? I mean, 150 years ago, British rulers would go to Africa and they would say, we have come to take over your country, your land and your minerals and there's nothing you can do. And she went there and they said to her, dance, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Shows how times have changed, doesn't it? Maybe they said the same to Queen Victoria and she just didn't really understand a bit of a language barrier. Um, uh, she, as, as she announced her uh, her departure uh, in Downing Street, um, she uh, issued a parting call for a country that truly works for everyone, um, and uh, which can only be interpreted as a savage assault on uh, the Conservative Party. Um, she said, <laughs> "We're bringing an end." To, uh, uh, she said, "They can look back proudly on bringing an end to austerity." and fighting the burning injustices that still scar our society, which is rather like a serial killer saying, well, I've got some fish fingers in my freezer now as well. It's not all body parts. I mean, she did, as we've discussed on The Bugle numerous times, she she, she got dealt, as I keep saying, a bad hand, and um, you know, basically got loads of twos, threes and fours and bid 15 no-trumps in bridge parlance. Um, and in baseball parlance, this defeat, this has got to go on David Cameron's record. Sure, the relief pitching has been shit. But these losses all stem from his flounderingly incompetent, arrogant, myopic pitching in the first innings. Uh, we are now left looking to uh, the future and the joys of a Conservative leadership election. Mark, I mean, you're a, presumably a massive fan of Tory leadership elections. Yeah, yeah, well, um, usually, of course, the favourite has caused so much kerfuffle with their... by because they're so sort of... The, the hatred between them all is such that... The person who hasn't upset lots of the other ones by stabbing in the back, shagging their wives, <laughs> uh, whatever it is they do. And Boris, credit to him, he's done both of those things to every other person in the Conservative Party. I mean, he's, I think he's stabbed some of them in the back whilst shagging their wives. <laughs> I'm starting to think that maybe the British need to take a note from their own history and, and maybe ship in Merkel when she retires, like Habsburg's Mark II. <laughs> oh, well, uh, bring back Lord Palmerston. Shows <laughs> <laughs> what a great democracy we are, that our Prime Minister was essentially deposed after a secret meeting with a guy called Graham, uh, presumably some sacred priest-like role, the official position of the Golden Graham, perhaps. Um, <laughs> and our new Prime Minister will be chosen by uh, 120,000 people, Tory Tory members, Yes, essentially. With um, an average age of 98, <laughs> who, who live in some rural bit of Suffolk, yep. where, uh, where they will vote for someone that can stop all the immigrants coming in. <laughs> when the last immigrant they had was someone who came come from a different bit of Saxmundham who was beaten <laughs> to death. 
But it's all right because we've taken back control. We've taken back control of our democracy. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Proper democracy, what we wanted. <laughs> at least Goodness sake, get our bloody democracy back so that we can have the Prime Minister chosen by 23,000 demented rural twats. That's true <laughs> democracy. <laughs> can I vote for Lord Melbourne? I'm afraid he's gone. That's, we've got it back. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it's better than you know when 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 the European Union foisted Stanley Baldwin on us back in the 1920s. We had no choice in that. It is old school democracy, right? It's it's land owning old gentlemen, right? Yes, I mean that's what made Britain great, isn't it? Yeah, you know, we'd never we'd never have organised slavery without it, would we? <laughs> um, uh, I love a stat, as both of you both know. Uh, both know, and uh, our, our next Prime Minister, following Theresa May, will be the fourth consecutive Prime Minister we've had who was not come into Downing Street having won a majority at an election. We had right. Gordon Brown taking over from Tony Blair, David yes. Cameron getting on a coalition, and Theresa May when Cameron resigned and whoever replaces Theresa May. And this is a great British tradition. We've had 32 different Prime Ministers since the Great Reform Act of 1832. Of these, eight have come to power for the first time by winning a majority wow. at a general election. You also had Cameron getting in in a coalition, Ramsay MacDonald on a coalition having won, uh, this is when they came in for the first time into office, uh, Ramsay MacDonald came in uh, in a coalition having not uh, won the popular vote yeah. or the most seats. The rest, resignations, assorted governmental collapses, internecine party backstabbings, front stabbings, and Julius Caesar-style 360-degree pincushionings, and the very occasional clog-popping. This is, this is our great democratic heritage, three-quarters of our Spencer prime ministers. Spencer Percival was shot. He was. He was a bit. He was. I think it was that was eighteen twelve. Yes. 18, yeah. Oh, yes. Eighteen twelve. Yes. Um, so I, I I got as far back as that with a stat, and then I realised oh, right. I'd, yeah, I'd wasted yeah. I'd wasted about an hour working it out and had to write some actual jokes. <laughs> <laughs> we get three facts here on the bugle, and that is one of them. So. <laughs> I haven't double-checked my working either, so it might be a false fact. But it's it's roughly a true fact. Um, as uh, uh, Ian Dunst, the political uh, journalist, um, tweeted um, as Theresa May, May was about to approach what he poetically described as the lectern of infinite crisis, um, that uh, shit <laughs> is going down. Um, looking at the possible candidates for new Prime Minister, shit is also going to rise up and replace uh, Theresa May. It's going to be a challenge for the Tories to find the least politically putrid candidate that can be fished. Yeah, out it's of the extraordinary swamp. that they've sort of the, the 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 sort of attitude seems to be. Well, as there are so many people who have proved themselves so competent and qualified and wonderful over the last three years, it's only fair that there are sixty-four candidates, <laughs> <laughs> including Dominic Raab, who appears to be second favourite. Having been notoriously incompetent as Brexit secretary, to the extent that he didn't, he hadn't realised that one of our major ports was a significant. Uh, yes, that we did, we imported stuff. Yeah. Across, <laughs> Who are we port? in Ireland? <laughs> the things you pick up in this job, extraordinary. I thought Sweden was on the Northern Line. I thought Volkswagen <laughs> were brought in by giant ladybirds. Marvellous what you pick up with your Brexit secretary. <laughs> if you had a six-year-old child that thick, you'd say we're going to have to get rid of it and get a different child. <laughs> and now he might be prime minister. <laughs> I'd vote for you, Mark. I would vote for you. <laughs> oh Lord! And all the angry ones who were just angry, angry. That that'd win. Yeah, that'd win. The angry party. Yeah, we're just angry. <laughs> what are you angry about this? Oh, I don't know. I'm sick of it. <laughs> just get on with it. What? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Something. Get on with it. Enough. <laughs> Why is things green when they should be used to be yellow? 
thank you very much. Uh, would the panel like to comment on that? <laughs> uh, Boris Johnson, current hot favourite. His popularity seems to be increasing in direct proportion to how little he has been speaking in public. Um, further evidence of the critical role of democramnesia uh, in uh, modern society. And uh, aged five, he apparently declared an ambition to be world king, which essentially should have meant that he was jailed for life. Um, uh, I mean, to be honest, it is absolutely crying out for the Queen to dust off that old suit of armour, that bow of burning gold the arrows of desire, last used by Queen Victoria might explain the nine children, the cloud removing spear, <laughs> the chariot of fire and the caffeine addled narcoleptic sword get back to business Lizzie step up to the plate there was an incident that I came across and I think it sort of explains how we've got here I was travelling to France and I thought it was the end of last summer and I thought I'll go on the ferry as a foot passenger, it'd be lovely. But they don't really cater for it anymore. They've sort of abandoned it all. And you get to Dover, and P&O have got a little desk there that someone works in. And you've booked up your ticket, and you just go up and say, I've booked up my ticket. And they look it up, and they give you a little token. And then a bus comes round. You get on this little bus. It takes you around the port, and then onto the onto the boat. So half the people at this desk all day, all week, must be French because it's just going backwards and forwards to France, being the ferry, as Dominic Raab may or may not have learnt. <laughs> and there was a French couple in front of me, didn't speak any English. And so the woman says uh, to the woman at the P&O, she says, excusez-moi, nous avons réservé un billet pour le, pour le bateau après-midi à 3 heures, whatever it was. And the woman, I swear I haven't changed the word of this, the P&O woman at the P&O desk at Dover Port went, oh, don't talk to me in French, my French is f***ing shit. <laughs> <laughs> now, the trouble with the left and sort of liberals, we've been, what a pointless waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> this is the country we're dealing with. I actually really like this woman. I thought there was something really sweet about her. <laughs> For being so honest and <laughs> humble. Yeah. Well, this is a new way of interpreting Brexit. It's just a bit of self-knowledge saying, no, we can't cope with it. We, we cannot. It's probably best for Europe if we step to one side and allow you all to speak to each other in your strange codes or <laughs> languages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shut up, you frogs. Don't you know English is the lingua franca? <laughs> Anyway, uh, do keep listening to The Bugle for exclusive coverage of Britain's ongoing descent into the inescapable claws of the incompetomaniacs, the retrospectorals, the corpsocrats and the democratophagic viruses crawling into the open wounds of our slowly self-immolating political system. This week, um, we uh, oh, it was all slightly overshadowed, actually, was the, the European elections. Now, we're not going to know the results until Sunday, but it looks like it's going to be catastrophic for uh, both the Conservatives and uh, and the uh, the Labour Party. And um, we, uh, I went to um, I went to vote uh, in my uh, at the local church hall. Which is, um, <laughs> it's nice that these things get used. And um, there was uh, there was um, I took my, my my daughter to help me. To, well, to help me vote, to introduce her to the glories of democracy before it is ripped from her, uh, the chance to vote in the European elections, something that she could look back on fondly in her later years. And there were two two ballot boxes on the table, and she went up with the folded ballot paper and said to the the guy at the desk, which one do I put them in? He says, it doesn't matter, but one of them's got a shredder inside. <laughs> so anyway, then, then she, put, she put the vote in through the thing, and this guy had uh, on his phone a shredder sound effect. <laughs> 
It was unquestionably the funniest thing I've ever seen happen in a polling station. <laughs> uh, and oh, it, we need more stunts in polling more. stations. Funny presiding officers. It <laughs> uh, glorious. And a, and a waspish satire on the nature <laughs> yes, of democracy exactly. and the pointlessness of voting. From my particular polling station, <laughs> there are no votes as I went berserk with a flamethrower. <laughs> um, oh, that's brilliant. I uh, voted for the Revolutionary S Club Party, as always. Um, Theresa May apparently just wrote, please help on her ballot paper. Apparently the majority of Tory MPs did not vote for Conservative no, in I'm this sure. uh, election. But we did still manage to get a, a nice bit of um, uh, institutional xenophobia in by uh, a load of EU citizens living in Britain who were yes. eligible to vote were prevented from voting due to administrational yes. mix-up. Yeah, um, that'll teach them. Again, laying our cards firmly on the table. We are not only... Uh, Afraid of foreigners, but we are also logistically incompetent. <laughs> Team GB. Well, why don't I got a car over here voting just because I live here? Oh, God. I mean, I can understand it because when British people go live in Spain, then the first thing they do is they just become acclimatised and so sort of <laughs> so much part of the community speaking language so beautifully you can hardly tell that they're English at all. <laughs> Um, I've been living in 16 years <laughs> I ain't never seen no Spanish twat <laughs> um, uh, The highlight of the uh, the European election campaign was the battle between uh, Nigel Farage the pickled chilli and the highball of British politics um, I mean yes we did need to change the way we looked at things but was that the way to do it um, and his uh, battle with uh, the milkshake the, uh, the famous uh, drink uh, in the immortal words of uh, Kellis, my milkshake keeps all the shysters on the bus. And he was he was <laughs> trapped on a bus by a milkshake-wielding crowd. Um, possibly one of the most uh, gloriously infantile displays of political protest in our <laughs> great history. Um, I should say, we at The Bugle, we do not support the use of milkshakes as a weapon of political terror. Uh, certainly not dairy-based milkshakes, which are so bad for the environment, of course, because of the impacts of dairy farming. A soya milkshake, not so much of an issue. Same with effigies, if you must express your political disgust via the tried and trusted medium of destroying an effigy. Please don't burn it. Just make your effigy out of natural materials, ideally recycled, and express your anger by letting it slowly biodegrade. <laughs> should also <laughs> accurately mirror the history of the Theresa May government. <laughs> Um, There was a glorious phrase in one of the reports. Crowd quotes, armed with milkshakes. (laughs) What what kind of piddly civil war are we indulging ourselves in? (laughs) Alice, uh, you in Australia, you've uh, also had your your election uh, result and, um, well, a, a surprise... Results: Scott Morrison. Uh, Scott Morrison came through unexpectedly to retain the uh, coveted uh, coveted title of uh, Prime Minister of Australia. Yes, Australian arty lefties are tearing their hair in shock after an election that the polls indicated would be strongly Labour-leaning has instead come good for the Liberals and the Coalition. To clarify uh, for US listeners, for us in Australia, the Liberals are sort of the Conservatives, except that because our voting is compulsory, our politics tends to be a little bit more boring. So what we call Conservative, you'd probably consider centre-right, and what we call centre-right is what you'd call left-wing, being, for example, all for universal health care except for the immigrants we keep in detention. In the UK, what you call public schools... 
and what we call private schools and what you call uh, biscuits in America we call bread rolls and what we call biscuits you call cookies and what we call pancakes you call crepes and what you call pancakes we call flapjacks but what the British call (laughs) flapjacks the Australians call muesli bars. (laughs) Right. Um, Two countries divided by common language once again. I mean, it's not all good news for populist strongmanning as the electorate booted out many of the high-profile dudes who were most blatantly fluttering their eyelashes at neo-Nazis like debutantes with jizz in their eyes. (laughs) Tony Abbott, Fraser Anning and Clive Palmer all lost their seats. Uh, Clive Palmer, in his continuing quest to be an incoherently blustering supermarket home brand knockoff of Donald Trump, is taking credit for the coalition's win in Queensland, having spent $60 million on mainly attack ads against Labour. Oh, it's quite, I was reading a couple of uh, analyses of the, the results, and this came from the, the chief economist at the uh, Australia Institute think tank, a chap called Dr Richard Dennis, who summed it up as follows. He said, landlords backed Labour and their renters backed for the coalition, so the, the Liberal Scott Morrison uh, government. So basically their landlords voted to give their tenants free childcare and free healthcare, or their tenants voted for their landlords to keep their tax concessions. This is essentially political <laughs> Stockholm syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, dear. So were people really, really upset about this then, Alice? Yeah, while it was going on, I was at the Australian Podcasting Awards. Uh, I did not win the Australian Podcasting Awards. The winner was podcasting and not me. But... Uh, <laughs> Just the course of the evening got increasingly depressed as the results came in. After an initial sort of high when Abbott lost his seat, just a just a bunch of lefty artsy types slumping down in their seats and applauding with decreasing fervour at people winning awards for categories they didn't even know existed. <laughs> um, the Labour Party, uh, led by Bill Shorten, who's now, uh, now resigned, uh, their plan of fighting climate change didn't seem to hit home with the electorate in the increasingly parched, on-fire, encroaching (laughs) desert-based country that is ever more regular victim of extreme climate incidents. Uh, why, Why do you think that was, Alice? Well, we sort of decided to stick with the political coalition that's humiliated itself with bluster and infighting because it promised economic stability uh, rather than choosing the Labour Party with its equally embarrassing infighting but the promise of greater action on climate change. (laughs) I think mainly because uh, we don't mind if the world burns down so long as we're rich at the end of it. Oh, that's it. Got to be winning when the world ends. Gold Um. floats, right? Uh, (laughs) Testify. Yes, I mean, ScoMo is famous uh, for presenting himself as a sort of a man of the people while clearly not being a man of the people. Uh, And it has given rise to one of the greatest all-time memes, which has absolutely no apparent foundation in fact, but that uh, Scott Morrison shit himself at Engadine McDonald's in 1997. (laughs) It's an incredibly popular meme. Is there, is there any any? You know, there's no smoke without fire, of course. It's the first rule of uh, well, it, he of he consistently finishes his his speeches by talking about his football team, right? Um, that he's he's really into a particular football team, and he you know at the end of all his political speeches, he goes, yeah, but on that particular date in 1997, uh, they lost, and right. presumably he shit himself in rage. Uh, <laughs> there's a plaque at the Engadine McDonald's. Um, that's so Australian. <laughs> Maybe that's the secret of his popularity with, with the electorate. Effectively, his party works directly uh, against the interests of, but maybe they can relate to a man who shat himself in McDonald's. It's all about personal <laughs> contact, isn't it? Know, well, just as your the, people well, can the, relate. The thing, it's all changing. Ten years ago, 15 years ago, it was just assumed if you said you boasted about 
grabbing a woman's pussy. That was the end of your career. Probably every 20 minutes, Trump does something that 20 years ago would have finished your career. <laughs> Boris Johnson, everything he does would have finished it now. Now, 15 years ago, if you were ever filmed shitting yourself in McDonald's, <laughs> that but now, <laughs> God, I don't mind, I'll shat myself in McDonald's. And your polling goes up. Well, about it. That's he's making a mistake, but he'd won by even more if he. Yeah. Maybe I mean this. Is, maybe this will this will impact on the the conservative leadership here. They'll know? all be up to yeah. Burger King. And have Jeremy Hunt saying, "Yeah, I I I, I wipe my jam covered penis on the curtains of a primary <laughs> school and, and waltz to power." I mean, isn't it a nice proof that careers are evolving to be more resilient? Exactly, and then they'll all be doing it. They'll all be then Sajid Javid will say, but, yeah, I left the jam on mine so that the, so it so it would attract wasps because I'm more of a leader. I'm currently maintaining a functioning wasp's nest in my bowl sack. Yeah. Let me show you. Yeah. Which is well, the sort of leadership that, the, that Britain needs. I did it when I was a bus driver. <laughs> Two of them stung me once. Took the one three three straight through Woolworths. <laughs> Waspness on my ball. Waspness on my ball tack was in fact the original version of uh, lipstick on your collar. Uh, eventually sung by Connie Francis. Originally offered as uh, Waspness on my ball tack to Paul Anko, who turned it down. Um, um, Showbiz news now, and, uh, well, Theresa May, of course, is not the only inexplicably long-running saga that has fizzled to an unsatisfactory ending, whilst at the same time threatening to spawn some deeply unsavoury spin-offs. Game of Thrones has uh, witted into the TV sunset, and it seems to have riled its many fans by being a bit shit at the end, like life, I suppose. Uh, It ended uh, after, uh, I don't know, was it eight series? And uh, with a, a plot that had more holes in it than a millipede's trousers. Uh, tied up all the loose ends like Albert Einstein's hairdresser and made as much sense as the last three years of global history multiplied by the laws of rugby union. And, uh, Alice, the fans are not happy. And when even fiction is provoking mass protests, you know the planet is in serious trouble. It's a terrible thing. After years and years of encouraging internet piracy, making dubious personal hygiene, violence and warped sexual ethics look heaps cool, international streaming sensation Game of Thrones has wrapped up its final season, its last episodes courting controversy with a series of exciting twists, deaths and betrayals, which despite literally a decade of prior exciting twists, deaths and betrayals, has caused absolute uproar on the internet. (laughs) Uh, The series tracked George R. R. Martin's books and people are pretty pissed and surprised that the last two episodes particularly aren't feminist enough, despite the original texts containing over 200 rapes, including child rape, murder rape, magic rape and incest. That feels like too many rape passages to be fun, even in fiction, Andy. What's the collective noun? An embarrassment of rape scenes? (laughs) Though I'm sure many of them are very narratively empowering or formative for character development in a defensively feminist way. Don't at me, please. (laughs) Quick bit of... uh... Donald uh, Donald Trump news, uh, obviously in battle with various um, f- forces ranged against him from uh, in America and around the world. He called his former Secretary of State Rex Tillerson as dumb as a rock. Um, 
this week. Um, well, I mean, A, rocks actually keep very detailed information going back hundreds of millions of years, which is possibly something Trump is not entirely familiar with. And uh, B, it's one thing to be able to spot someone who's as dumb as a rock, but it's quite another thing to pick that person out and then give them one of the most important jobs in the world, which uh, Donald Trump has done. He basically went on strike and refused to do, do any, any work, which is, I think, the best thing we can hope for at this stage. So it's been, uh, I mean, on the plus side with Trump, he did not do any of the following things this week. Uh, a, personally drown a puppy on national TV. B, ban all women from laughing. C, invade France. D, urinate out of Air Force One whilst flying over a school for special needs children. E, dry hump the Lincoln Monument. Or F, charter a helicopter and airdrop rotting seal carcasses over the crowd at the minor league baseball game between the Toledo Mudhens and the Columbus Clippers while trailing a banner behind his aircraft saying, what if a Mexican or Muslim was doing that? Hashtag build the wall. So, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been a worse week. From, from, from. I do think he's saving all them up for one week. <laughs> I reckon probably late October next year, week before the election. <laughs> Sport now, and uh, well, the Cricket World Cup begins on Thursday, and uh, this makes me enormously excited. Um, partly because I'm going to a ridiculous number of games in my uh, other job. In Aren't you going to all of them, including when there's two on the same day? <laughs> not, not, not quite. I mean, if, if the logistics allowed, Mark, then yes. I'm going to about two-thirds of the games at the World Cup. Because some of those statistics aren't going to look themselves up, are they? Um, and uh, quite incredibly, England actually have a genuine chance of winning, uh, winning the Cricket World Cup. They are, in fact, favourites. And, uh, well, they've been the best side in international one-day cricket since pretty much since I started covering it for the BBC. So uh, you're all welcome. Yes, the Cricket World Cup begins on Thursday and ends as all cricket matches do, either when one side chooses to ritually disembowel themselves rather than continue the game or when play is interrupted by the heat death of the universe. (laughs) (laughs) They say those who are tired of cricket are tired of life, if you take the word life in that sentence to mean cricket. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you're not actually that far off where there was a game in uh, 1939 a <laughs> uh, famous timeless test England playing in South Africa uh, where well, they used to just play games with no mm. sort of end time now it's five days for test matches and they played for two weeks and then they <laughs> called it a draw because England had to catch the boat home yeah, uh, and then a war broke out so I mean it was pretty close <laughs> to what you've just described Alice essentially <laughs> and the uh, but wouldn't it be just, if it was the heat death of the universe ending the game, the yeah. commentary would just be, oh, well, that's rather a shame. There's yeah. the heat death of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not let it spoil some of the wonderful sort of four days we've had. We've a marvellous innings of 83. By... <laughs> I, I think it's worth for, noting that I do love cricket, Andy, but I can yes. love cric- cricket and also objectively realise that it's awful, like the cake that my auntie used to bake for our birthday every year <laughs> oh. and would burn it every year. It's one of my favourite flavours in the world, but objectively horrendous. Well, I, I went to see Kent versus Surrey, my first county game of the year, the other day, and uh, alarmingly a few things happened in the first hour and a half, but then nothing else <laughs> happened. And I prefer it like that. And... A couple of years ago, when I was at Canterbury, I think that was the incident that sort of that said this is county cricket. There was about ninety people there, mm-hmm. all of which were sort of even older than the average Conservative membership. <laughs> they were so old, most of them there because they'd been there the previous year and didn't realise winter had come and gone. And they, <laughs> sort of, and they were still there, and. 
about three in the afternoon, there was an announcement <coughs> over the tannoy. Um, you are reminded that the sponsors for today's game are whatever it was, funeral care. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know your clientele isn't it um excitingly this year and then much more on the cricket world cup on the unbelievable podcast that i'm doing uh for abc in australia with uh, the wonderful felicity ward and uh also this week with atif nawaz uh, looking ahead to the world cup um excitingly mark the world cup official song has been released before Ooh. the tournament Okay. Whereas in 1999, the last time there was a Cricket World Cup here, uh, the Cricket World Cup song was released the day after England were knocked out. <laughs> oh, yes. So, <laughs> we're learning from our mistakes. And um, <laughs> Theresa May will have a song come out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to be Prime Minister. <laughs> well, I mean, there's further good news for England. I mean, obviously, uh, almost all sport is dictated by historical coincidence. And uh, England actually have a much better average at Cricket World Cups uh, when the previous general election has resulted uh, in the victory of a female prime minister. <laughs> so they reached the final in 1979 uh, after Thatcher had won the uh, 79 election. They reached the semi in 83. They reached the final in 1987 after Thatcher had won the 87 election. They reached the final in 92. Now, Thatcher had gone by then, but they hadn't yet had the 1992 general election. So... Every time England have done well at a Cricket World Cup, a woman has won the previous general election. And since 1992, uh, all general elections up until the last one in 2017 won by men, England failed even to qualify for a semi-final. So this is Theresa May's one positive legacy for this country. Well, why, didn't she, do why is she too modest about yeah. it? Uh, anyway, uh, do tune in to uh, future bugles over the next few weeks. We will, I will no doubt touch on the World Cup, given that I will be spending most of my waking hours... Uh, watching it and um, and most of my sleeping hours thinking about it um, and the un- unbelievable, unbelievable is available uh, wherever you get your podcasts or on the ABC website uh, well that brings us to the end of this week's Bugle uh, Mark thanks for it's been a delight to have you on as always um, and, thank you uh, what a you know interesting day to, to <laughs> unleash you the full glory of, of your uh, love <laughs> your lo- love yeah. and affection yes um, for the people in the news, <laughs> um, Alice. Because if you can't say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's that's something that I don't think either of us have really followed through with in our careers. Uh, Alice, a delight as always to have you uh, have you on the show. Uh, any, uh, um, any any shows to plug? Yes, uh, my sh- uh, film show Ethos is up on my Patreon um, and I'm doing a show Mythos in uh, London on the 10th of July at the Museum of Comedy. It's all on the internet. Just look it up on the internet. I'll be there. I'll be on the internet. <laughs> There's a Bugle live show at the Underbelly on the 22nd of June featuring me, Nish and uh, Alice. Mark, have you got any tour shows or anything coming up that you want to alert people? No, but I'd like to go to Australia one day. So um, if I can plug that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone in Australia well, would like to fly Mark Steele over, to, my dad has a spare yeah. bedroom uh, that I was recently staying in. So, oh, okay, I'm sure. <laughs> this, is, this is a trip coming together. Um, if you can deal with him talking about your um, your eggs, Mark, I'm sure <laughs> you guys will get on great. That's all right. <laughs> um, 
to play you out, as always, uh, in current Bugles, uh, some lies about our uh, premium subscribers. Uh, to join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme, go to the Bugle website, thebuglepodcast.com, and click the Donate button. Choose one of the options there, or make up your own uh, contribution, regular or one-off. And uh, if you choose one of the lie-including options, I will tell a lie about you on this show, and you will join some of the following people about whom I'm about to bullshit. Deborah Swain thinks the word whelped is underused and should be spread more widely to refer not just to doggies firing puppies out of their doggy tum-tums, but also to the creative process of writing a novel, solving a Sudoku, or providing an assist for a goal. Michael and Nicole Kelly are not concerned about the Chinese government spying on them through technological snooping, because they themselves installed a wiretap in the Forbidden City when on holiday in Beijing in 2004, and have shared the information gleaned through, through a series of coded letters to the Sun newspaper. Someone known only as Foot Foot has proof that the real reason that Theresa May resigned is that someone has video evidence that she was in fact one of the 1980s all-female American rock band Vixen and was replaced by a body double when she was elected as a local councillor in South London in 1986. Ken Samuels is unimpressed by clouds, calling them fluffy time-serving conventionalists which have not evolved or improved in literally millions of years. Christian Quasar would love to see what baton twirlers could do with real weapons. He reckons they would have been very useful in wars up to around the mid-15th century, but that it's now probably too late to find out. Stephen Way has formulated and costed proposals to replace roads with zip wires, which are amongst the most environmentally friendly forms of mass transit available. Whilst Emma Colville is not convinced that swans are all that, and wonders why they don't use their long necks more in combat and social situations, reckoning they could hook their beaks around lampposts while flying at high speed, and use the centrifugal force to whiz round and knock the ice cream out of a child's hand. Kirk Roberts would like to do away with maps on the world's underground and metro systems, thinking it would help rebuild communities and disadvantaged areas if you just had to get out and see what was there. Who knows what you might like, buy or invest in, or whom you might meet. Roberto Tiley thinks postgraduate study should be allocated to the people who most need it, not the people who most want it. He says that the intellectually curious and gifted are still going to be curious and gifted even if they don't spend four years studying the mating rituals of ferrets or how capitalism causes acne or whether atoms exist. It's the people who don't take an interest in learning about the world who would gain the most. Luciano Silva wonders whether popes genuinely float or whether they only stay on top of water because their special pope cassocks trap pockets of air. Whatever, at any rate, he's never seen one sink. On the subject of sinking, it is a constant irritation to Neil Harrison that the Titanic gets so much more media attention than all the boats that never sank even once. And finally, Kieran Johnston would give anything, and I mean anything, to see the Queen play the trombone unexpectedly during the state opening of Parliament, just to see A, how the MPs will react, and B, how far her royal cheeks will puff out. More lies next week. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.